Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. Brought to you by Mountaintop Data, we are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Guy Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Drew Moffitt of Kumo Space about uh, staying connected with a remote marketing team. We're going to stray a lot in this uh, particular episode because Kumo Space is is very much involved in this staying connected. It's what they do. But um, Drew leads uh, marketing over at Kumo Space. He's also the founder of Venture Sales. That's a yacht networking event company, as I as I understand it, and a uh, has many successful startup exits. Or uh, Drew, correct me. I'm botching your bio. I don't like bios anyway. But uh, I don't know. Tell me what I got right and wrong there. Yeah. So um, my background's founder operator. Uh, I been a part of now the seventh company I'm helping to build in some capacity. I co-founded two. I had had a very modest exit of one. And then I started a networking event. Um, my partner and I, avid sailors. So we initially were hosting VCs as a nice shiny object to get them somewhere on a boat uh, called Venture Sales with an spelled like a sailboat, not like selling. And um, yeah, I got involved with Kumo Space little over two years ago now and have been leading all the marketing efforts there. I was one of the early employees. It's been a fun, exciting journey to go from a couple, you know, tens, maybe a hundred people using the product when I got involved shortly after the beta was launched to millions of people having used it in some capacity. And now we've gone through our series A, which was led by Bold Start, our series C that was led by Bold Start and participated. They also participated in our A and our series a, that was led by Lightspeed Ventures for collectively raising $24 million. So did those guys go out on the yacht with you or was this separate from that uh, venture? Yeah, I'm, I'm an early team member. Um, the two co-founders, they actually did all the fundraising inside of Kumo Space. Uh, so they- When you uh, say inside of, you mean in the application or- Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Kumo Space is build, building a virtual office software for- teams distributed and remote and hybrid teams to show up and work together. So when it came time to pitch Lightspeed, there was just additional floor in our virtual HQ that had a bunch of Lightspeed uh, branding and logoing. And um, then fortunately, we were lucky enough as a company to get partnered up with them. Nice, nice. Um, so it seems if you're if you're looking to sell your product to um, an average, you know, a, a HR manager or something like that, you're going to send them a, a pen with your company logo on it or a coffee cup or something like that. But I guess when you're, uh, when you're looking to pitch venture capitalists, you have to, uh, you have to give them alcohol on a yacht is <laughs> you have to up your game a little bit on what you're given to get them in the door. Yeah. Um, they, they, they tend to be a, a hard crowd to, to get a hold of. To motivate, since everybody's knocking on their door, you got to bring something yes. special to the uh, to the occasion. Uh, excellent. So the topic today, staying connected with a remote marketing team, obviously super relevant now. So many people, especially marketing, is is heavily remote, and um, the staying connected part. It's like we're all working from from home, but that is important. It's important for people to be in the office. People talk about everything that's lost, the accidental interactions within an office, um, all all of the unintended interactions that, that make up office life. Can you give a little explanation of, uh, and this is going to sound for listeners, 
I'm not going to shy away from this sounding like a infomercial almost uh, because I checked out their product. I really like it. Um, and it's kind of central to this topic. So we're going to be talking a lot about Kumo Space and their product. So with that said, Drew, but it, and for the listeners, again, this isn't an actual infomercial. Um, Drew is just somebody that we have invited to come on the show. Um, but I, I really love the the product and what they're doing with it. Um, can you tell the listeners, Drew, kind of what your guys' product does and, and how, maybe what the special functions are that separate it from something like, uh, like Zoom and the other ways people communicate with remote workers? Yeah, I, I think it's good to just think about historically how humans have communicated. It's a way that I think about it often is for thousands and thousands of years, the way that humans defaulted to communicate with one another was synchronously, just like we're doing right now. We're talking, you would speak to the human nearby you. Um, if there was a phone, then you started calling them on the phone. Um, and then as a default, you would kind of go to sending maybe a digital message in recent times or in ancient times, a carrier pigeon. And in the last couple of decades, that has shifted, especially with remote workers, where the default is to communicate asynchronously. So I send you a Slack message and whether or not you decide to or are available to respond in that immediate moment um, and how quickly you respond is is not in sync with me. And this right. you're not having a of- conversation, you're having a, an exchange over time, which is awesome. Hey, I get an email. I don't have to check it. It'll be there next week. It'll be there any time versus having to meet somebody at a place in time to communicate. Yeah. And it just, it Slack is a very valuable tool. Email is a very valuable tool. But the, the problem that you often find is there's miscommunication that happens. So Slack is great to be like, hey, can you send me that URL? Um, for that Google spreadsheet. Perfect, right? There's no debate debate about that. But when it starts getting into something like, hey, should we post this on social media or should we focus on SEO this week? Right, and that, like, so the key a- there is they said this, and now <laughs> this person, you have to wait the next day they get the email or the Slack and they respond, what do you mean by this? And then you go back and forth and the amount of time lost when you're not having a back and forth conversation, forget about miscommunication. If people clarify it just ends up really, yeah. So that live communication, everybody knows, yeah, I'm remote and I'm emailing back and forth to figure out this complex thing. But damn it, if I could just get the person on the phone to talk, we we need 30 seconds to work this out cleanly. It's just a different type of communication with different benefits. Yeah. And inside of a Kumo space, you have that metadata that you get in a physical office. So what we're trying to replicate is all those physical benefits of working in a physical office, but giving teams the and people the freedom to work from anywhere in the world. So in Kumo space today, we do all of our activities, including our sales demos. So if someone were to decide to check out Kumo space and book a, a demo with our team, there's a high likelihood that you'll come into Kumo space and you may actually even see me in it in that moment. And I can see the sales reps having a conversation, What, how many people might be in that demo, but I can also see if that sales rep is free in that moment. So if I want to ask them or I want to run an idea by them that I want to include in, say, a new ad because it's been working well with a cold outbound tactic that they may have been using, I can just go right over to them. I can see that they're available. They can turn on their camera they, and we can have a very synchronous communication. And they also understand what I'm talking about because in this example, it's it's something that's strategy driven. It's 
hey, what is the copy you've been using in your cold outbound email? I want to use that in, say, in uh, LinkedIn messaging ad. Right. Um, God, there's so many things to get to with this. I want to stay, try to stay within the remote work type stuff. But for the listeners, I, I encourage you to go to kumospace.com and, and look just their homepage. One of the first things you'll see is this exactly what it looks like this uh kind of video of people moving around within a part of an office space um and uh the product just it it seems to me to have the best parts of the live office and the best parts of the digital remote kind of in, in you you guys have figured out a way to get those into one place and the the amount of things you can do with them i mean hosting events like you said, having a floor for the venture capitalists. It's like, oh, you want to have a floor for your customer service that anybody can come to at any time and see the customer service people and just find someone who's available to talk to? Yeah, you can do that. You want to have a floor for uh, you know, people to come and pitch your company their products instead of coming in and annoying you through other ways? Just be like, look, here's where you come if you want to pitch us your stuff and you can talk to whoever's there. There's just, you're allowed to have however many floors you want or spaces you want on a, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. You're like, actually there's a, <laughs> sure you can no, have I mean, them, but you got to pay for them. Um, there are some limits like everything in life. Um, but off the top of my head, I, I can't tell you how many, I, I think, you know, theoretically there's, there's going to be some limit to the number of floors, but you, you could have more floors and you can probably think of ideas to do with. Right. And that's also a benefit, you know, to having virtual office space versus physical office space is that, you, it contracts and expands with your team, right? So if you're in high hyper growth and you're adding more remote marketers or sales reps to your team, um, you can kind of build that space uh, really quickly. Very cool. So I'm going to try to focus back to the kind of uh, the how to stay connected with the remote marketing aspect of this topic. Um, yeah. Uh, but continual... Uh, disclaimer that they're bleeding out into these other subjects. Um, so can you give kind of a, an overview of what needs your guys' particular app for remote workers fills? Like what, so they get an idea of the kind of things that can be done in, um, in Kumo space. Yeah, I think this happened yesterday to me. It was a really simple uh, interaction between myself and the, the head of sales. And the head of sales wanted something changed on the website. They were getting some, uh, since our product has been used for a lot to also organize, host a lot of events, we get, and a lot of academic use case, we often get a lot of young kids that are using the product uh, or had used the product in related school who are booking demos with us. And he just wanted this you know, domain uh, blocked from booking from us, but I didn't fully understand his ask because he asked the question in Slack and you know he doesn't build the webpage. So he didn't particularly... Uh, I wasn't sure, like, I wanted to get his ask correct. I wanted to understand really like that user story. And, you know, 10, 20 minutes go by, of kind of just sending this message to Slack. And I'm like, and he's on a lot of sales calls. So sometimes he's taking breaks. Maybe he's walking around the block. And he was just like, I'm like, let's just quickly talk in this. Three, four minutes later, he, I clearly understand what his ask is. I can clearly make a user story out of that to like fix his need. I immediately could see that our web dev was free. I went and talked to her. And about an hour later, this this changed and implemented. Right. So you can walk down the hall, even when you're not in a physical office, because you have the digital office there, 
and everybody in your company is connected and you can just walk down the hall and walk into their office and talk to them just like if you were there physically. Yeah. Like that seems to be the number one thing missing in remote work is, man, if I could just walk down the hall and talk to IT and get an answer on this, this back and forth is killing me. And we're not getting anywhere. I, I need 30 seconds. Um, it allows exactly. you to do that. I mean, it was 20 minutes of potentially of, of us like kind of Slack messaging, which was turned into a four minute conversation. His problem being solved in an hour. And I could just think about, and there's so many times where I sit back and I just go, man, when I worked on a project and I was just relying on Slack or just relying on like Zoom, um, it's the way that that interaction would have happened is we would have sent a bunch of messages back and forth. I would have not really fully understood his ask. And I would just want to make sure I fully understood it. So I would have been like, let me find a time on his calendar, stick maybe 15, maybe 30 minutes, formal Zoom, which would be tomorrow or the next day. Right. And once I got his ass, then I would look on the web developer's calendar and say like, okay, when can I go explain what we need to do? We're already doing it for this use case. Let's oh, just wait, something happened. Work. He had to cancel that meeting because something else came up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now you're set back another week. Who knows? Exactly. So at the core, it's about having fewer meetings, right? In the sense of a formal meeting and having faster decisions and results happening. And the, the ancillary benefit is you start to really start building bonds with your team members. Because we were talking about just as we were starting off, it's like our team does a weekly team lunch. We let everyone charge a meal to their breaks. Typically, a team member hosts something, uh, either describing how they're doing a marketing tactic or implementing some feature inside of Kumo Space. Uh, one of our engineers taught a cooking class during it. Uh, a marketer and our customer support person, they did face paint for Halloween. So those type of community collaborative activities that you're having just in the, the water cooler moments, you start to gain knowledge and start to build true bonds with your coworkers. And that's another thing that just remote teams, it's, the, it's just two things. Like, I feel so blocked. I can't just walk down the hall and ask this person the question and the second is like, I love my freedom. I love being able to maybe live a digitally nomadic life, but I feel just lacking of joy and like camaraderie to my, my colleagues. And right. there's just not a lot that can be conveyed about someone's uh, personality and who they are as a person from, uh, you know, text messaging in, in, in a product like Slack. Yeah. And I'm like, again, we got to go look at, kumospace.com to get an idea of what we're talking about visually you guys created this thing and it looks like a uh i don't know it looks like a updated version of a a low-end video game where people just walk around in a space and uh, you know there's there's walls and doors and stuff like that um and i'm i don't mean that in a negative way it's just not what i think people imagine when they think about software for remote working and staying connected it's like oh no no this is very different this is a uh you know some sort of a video game ask looking thing but what it allows people to do is is so impressive um i'm gonna go some of the things God, I, I feel like i have uh sales bullet points or something like that in front of me <laughs> but i was looking early on in covid um we were sponsoring an event and i was looking for a way to do a vr room and I wanted a VR room where people could actually walk around and talk to each other. Um, 
kind of like what you guys have. I was picturing virtual reality with uh, just for the novelty of it with the goggles and everything. And we could have people sign up a uh, special and we'd mail them, uh, you know, a set of VR goggles they'd slide their phone into. And, and I was like, Oh, th this will be really cool. I'm sure this is simple enough to do. This is technology is all there and it just didn't exist. And everybody, the experts were like, Nope, can't do it. Not enough processing power. And I look at what you guys did. And I'm like, Oh, this is better. You don't need to get dizzy with VR goggles on. You don't have to have that. You just need a space to move through. Um, some of the things I was thinking about wanting to have are things that you guys have and it's the only uh, i'm sure there's others but this is the only application i've seen that has these you have this this audio proximity function yeah. where so it's more like you're in a live space where when you get close to somebody you can start hearing them um there's a group of people talking you walk up and you're just in the conversation you can you can hear them as you move around you know you walk by somebody's office and they're playing music you can hear the music that kind of thing uh yeah. and i found that very cool for the just the the ability to be so much more naturally connected like that. I get close to people who are talking. I can, I can hear them. It's so much more of a natural space. Um, I just, yeah, we, I, I love that function. Thank you. And you know, we really try to pull inspiration from the real world. So you're speaking about this spatial audio component. It's like, if you're at a physical networking event or in a physical office, you really can hear the person sitting or standing next to you the best. So that's how inside of Akuma space right now in, in our office, because it's, it's business hours, there's probably multiple screen shares happening. There's multiple people having conversations, um, just like you would in a, a physical, physical office or event space. And then it does look a little bit like a video game, but we just take inspiration from video games as to kind of solve those problems. And if you think about video games, they were just trying to repl replicate real life, right? It was move around a maze, move around some type of virtual environment. Um, if you go back to like the early 80s uh, kind of arcade games. And yes, there is this, you can go do meta, uh, you can get an Oculus headset, but it it's just a lot for what the value is, is this synchronous communication. The but it's, it's unnecessary too. I realized that's all a gimmick. That's none of what that's giving you is needed for the experience. That's just, yeah. oh, it's cool. And you can make things that look cooler. And oh, it's like saying, oh, I'm going to look at an image that's 3D versus not. Okay. Yeah, the 3D one's cooler, but you only do that for so long. And it doesn't really add any value to the experience of trying to get stuff done. I think most of the value out of Kuma Space is really just that meta value of like, oh, is that, that a bad choice of right? words? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I think you're, you're pretty right. Like it's why we didn't go with this 3D. It's, it's a pretty 2D experience. Um, we do want to make the environment look rich. So it looks professional. You can add custom images. You can fully customize your spaces. Um, it allows people just personalities to show through. Because if you go into our, our virtual HQ, everyone's office is decorated differently. Um, and those... Uh, pieces of furniture and are very richly illustrated. So it looks nice, but you don't need to, it, I don't think it needs to be 3D. And, and the secondary piece is like, this has to work in a lot of environments, especially if you're trying to support someone who's on the go and remote, maybe they have lower bandwidth, something like that is happening. Um, you, the amount of computing power needed for VR right now uh, is just pretty high. Uh, even yeah. running basic video games consumes 
processor power. So the VR component, I just don't think is there yet. And this is a nice bridge from going from asynchronous communication of messages or email to more synchronous communication in a virtual environment. Yeah, um, I, I, I see that. I hadn't considered this type of a, a setup when I was looking for an event thing. But now that I see this, I'm like, oh, yeah. They, again, unnecessary to walk through the 3D environment that way. Might be cool one day when it's more practical, sure. But the the way this allows just everybody to jump on and do it. Um, uh, I, again, I, I, I love it. Can you want to step away from your product as much as we can, yeah. as often as we can? Um, can you share with us kind of how you stay connected outside of Kumo space, how you stay connected with your remote people, um, like kind of any practices you use to, to manage remote people other than the Kumo space uh, app? Yeah. So I've, I've borrowed some stuff from our engineering team and at kind of a high level, we throw a little stand up in Slack. Um, in the future, we intend to have more and more robust uh, chat function inside of Kumo Space. So maybe I'll we'll put it there. And that's just a full couple of bullets, like things that we're going to do today. And then that at least gives basic visibility. Um, the next thing is it's good to just establish a standard reporting cadence. Like So every Thursday, we're reporting um, to the whole company about like what the marketing effort is, is bringing about. And that weekly report, reporting cadence gives us the ability to, you know, our, know if we're on track or not on track. And, and it helps with the accountability too, I'd imagine. I mean, when people are remote, if you're never reporting, then things can really slip away. But if you know you got that weekly report, it's like, hey, you're on your own, but we need some updates here and there. Yeah, it's it's good. You know, like my kind of dues of of remote work is like trust your team. Right. Don't make them be don't require FaceTime or presence. Instead, focus on like productivity and like output. So having that clear cadence and conveying that to them that like, hey, like we've got to hit these like it might be a stretch goal. Like I'm going to set a stretch goal. And if we miss it, that's fine. Um, but we tried really hard to get there. Um, I always think it's better to kind of try and shoot for some higher, higher goals. And then to the extent possible, try and break things into memos or PRDs that are more complex. And sometimes that can backfire a little bit on you, but because people might start turn that might start becoming like an entire commenting thread in a Google doc. And that's where I'd be like, let's have this conversation synchronously so we can really understand this. Um, but that's something we use, especially for our web development projects. Uh, changing the website, improving the website, a lot of the SEO, technical SEO improvements we're doing right now. Um, have a PRD, new sections of the website that we're building, have a PRD, stick that in Jira and just kind of keep track of that, knowing this is what I'm doing this week or the team's going to be doing this week, next week. And it helps just keep things roughly on track. But so you're having constant communication still, even if you're not in the communis, the Kumo in space the app. Yep. Okay. Um, one of the things, so something else, last, I'll keep dropping these little nuggets. Uh, oh, go ahead. The last. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I was going to say is just like, always make yourself as someone managing people, like always make yourself accessible. That is a hard thing. It's a lot easier said than done. I think it's hard to like truly make yourself 
always accessible because there are moments where you're trying to do really like deep work where you're like, I'm trying to write this blog article, I'm trying to write this PRD, or I'm trying to like go through this complex question or brainstorm. And then someone's coming up to me and Jeff from accounting keeps wanting to talk to you about the fantasy league. No, I'm not going to join Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But especially for your marketers, like make yourself accountable because you are sorry, accessible because you don't want to ever be a blocker for them. Right. Right. I'd say, but also accountable. And that's something to touch on that just surface wise, but all employees are worried about the micromanaging of their bosses. Right. And many bosses are worried about micromanaging because you have to manage, but you're like, how do I balance not micromanaging everything, but still holding people accountable? A big thing with remote work is is really doing that. Okay, measure people's work and output, but still uh, managers are very worried about, are my people actually working? You know, I've heard stories of many people that have more than one job when they're remote working and they're doing the four-hour work week scam on their on their company and you know, companies don't want that. Even you know, you're getting the bare minimum done to keep your job, but you're uh, you know, you're two time and um, that's not probably legal or something they want to make sure is being done. So you need to monitor. I think you said, you know, trust your employees, but it's like, yeah, trust, but verify. You got to know they're getting the work done and, um, and you got to trust them and you got to balance those two things. One of the things you guys have in this, that I loved is the little um, little icons, the little emojis are actually just a mini window that can have a static image, but looks like it can have like a live video also. So people are sitting there working and they're at their, they're just in their virtual office in your space and people that walk by can see their live face while they're doing it. And you think, oh yeah. wait, that's invasive, but your boss can come by and see you're actually there and you're actually doing stuff. Like it's no more invasive than being in the office. So you have the luxury of staying at home, but you know, you're still employed and working here. So people being able to see you is not a, shouldn't be a big deal if you want that benefit. Um, you know, it's uh, the balance of not being used as a 1984 big brother. Now that we all have these video cameras on our, on our laptops that are looking at us all the time, but still allowing the, um, uh, the oversight and accountability where your bosses can be comfortable knowing that you're actually at home kicking ass when you're at home uh, seems to be a, a nice function. I, I like that verify aspect within the trust, but verify being being there kind of that if people are plugged in all the time. Now companies don't have to have these covert um, ways of tracking to make sure their employees are doing stuff and having keystroke trackers and who knows what else going on to make sure monitor are they actually there working or not because it's like no it's you're kind of virtually there the whole time yeah Um, i mean for us it's like we give the the employee and the user the freedom to decide in that moment right so you can have your camera on you can have your camera off often when i am working there's different uh modes so you have avail you're available um, or you have mode of being in focus, or you can say, I'm away, I'm, you know, be right back, ran to the bathroom, getting lunch, something like that, right? Um, it's just to really going back to that, conveying that status, that that data around like what's kind of happening in the physical office, um, but doing that virtually. And the same thing's true in a physical office, right? Like you could see someone sitting at their desk. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's particularly in, invasive in that regard. 
And again, we're giving our team members the option. The thing that I find a lot of value is when you see two team members talking and they're, you know, often I will sit with my camera off, but if I'm talking to someone else, I'll turn it on. And if someone else is looking or, or, or can kind of see me doing that interaction, uh, they probably have a lot of context to what might be happening. Like I can offer, like earlier this morning, I saw our head of product and our CEO talking and I had a pretty good guess about what they were probably talking about. And, um, you know, kind of just like the nature of that conversation. And that's because I'm in a lot of meetings with the head of product and the CEO, and I just know probably the problem they're trying to solve and what they're, or what they're trying to do or what's kind of urgent. And I just feel so much more in, informed about what's actually happening in the company. And, and that's what we're trying to do. We're, de- we're definitely not trying to you know, give managers the tools to, to run their own version of 1984. Like that, that's, that's, that's not what we want at all. The re- right. Remote work is about really, truly giving your employees a better quality of life. Yeah. And having them actually work for you at the same time. Because it's it's like it's a two way street. You can work from home; that's great. But now you can be replaced by somebody who works from home as well. So you know, I get get the work. You got to actually do the job. Still, it's not a free for all. Um, just because you're working like, from home, I question how overblown it might be. Yes, there are definitely people who are doing four hours a week and doing two jobs. I don't doubt that. But I think like if you are actually setting whether it's goals or OKRs or something like that, that are decently aggressive. I don't know how that would be achieved. For example, we just 300% increased the blogs that we're making in a given month as our target. And yes, we're adding freelancers to help increase that volume. But the person who's running that, like they've now got to manage a bunch of freelancers and get a bunch of content drafted and do it in a way that's, uh, you know, not just random stuff they're writing about, like in, informed from an SEO perspective. So I know that they're very busy doing that and they're doing a great job at that. And then, yeah, they're, uh, the numbers are are looking good. So there's just no way that I could think of that person, you know, maybe they're getting four hours of sleep and they're working another four hours outside of uh, Kuma space, but like they're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're showing up and, and they're taking ownership also. Like that person is super proud of what she's doing. Right. But I think for managers, there's always this fear and it's hard to tell sometimes. One, you don't really know exactly how long specific tasks take. So a lot of managers, I think in the past, the technique was, I just need to overload them with so much work. I know it's more than they can possibly do. And then when they look like they're about to physically break, maybe I'll pull it back a little bit. But that's how I know that you know, they aren't slacking off. I, I just have to give them 10 times what they could possibly do. And then you have the whole quiet quitting thing now. And people because people are like, oh, I'm being I'm being given too much work. So I'm just gonna swing the other direction and and, and end up, you know, and get myself fired probably. But uh, because I, I'm I'm being asked to do things that maybe aren't in my job description exactly, or I just feel like I'm being given too heavy of a load. And they're probably working from home and the manager's probably worried that they aren't giving them enough work and they're slacking off half the time. Uh, so the accountability part to me seems um, really crucial both ways, as well as motivation. Like when you're in an actual office versus at home, nobody's watching you at home. Nobody can see you. Um, 
you know, not many people, I would say for the listeners, if you think you don't need any oversight, then look down. And if you see like eight pack abs, maybe you're right. Because <laughs> we could all have eight pack abs if, abs if we were so highly motivated to get everything done all the time, but we probably don't. And that's why people have personal trainers. You can do sit-ups on your own, and yet people hire personal trainers. Why? That's who your manager is. I, I remember telling our managers, you, you're a personal trainer. That's what you are. You are not the owner of the people you're managing. You work for them. Your job is to motivate them and keep them going. And occasionally, you identify somebody that needs to be removed or something like that. But basically, you're you're their assistant. You're their your batting coach, that kind of thing. Um, you're supposed to be there helping them do more than they would on their own and, and helping them be more successful. And if you can't oversee people, you know, you can't manage them, you can't help them. Uh, so I think it's very much a two way street and, uh, yeah, I think employees constantly worrying about that bother me. I think, why are you so worried about being watched all the time? I would like to be watched more so I can be more effective. (laughs) And so that shouldn't really be a concern. It, it seems, um, again, if you're in a physical space, somebody sees you pick your nose. If you're on a digital space and there's a camera on you, there's, there's no difference there. You can lean off camera and do it like, here we go. All right. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or you can turn the camera off. Right. Yeah. And, and just still have your, your status be available. Um, I think there's two things. A lot of these concerns, I think, just come back to managers for and hiring from two perspectives. So the first one is I try to do everything that I ever ask anyone of so that I have at least a sense of like how long that should take. You know, if it's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like I've written blog articles. So expecting us to go from, you know, increase by several hundred percent in a 30 day, 40 day period of time. Like, I know that's a crazy ass, but we're also I'm also giving you a lot more resources and. Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily expecting us to succeed, but I'm high, but I've also hired someone who, and this was something that our CEO did, you know, very well at, at impressing upon me and is, you know, hire for the slope, not the intercept. And what that means is if you think about it on the graph, it's like, really, what's that person's like trajectory and not so much where they are today on that trajectory. So if they have a very, very flat, uh, kind of growth, like, it doesn't matter, you know, a couple of years from now, they're not going to move much, but if they have a pretty high trajectory, it looks like, um, then, you know, in a couple of six months or, or 12 months, they're probably a lot better, uh, member of the team. And so going back to that hiring is that you just, you hire that type of person and then it just comes down to making the decision. I think there's often a lot of thought of like, I can't make the wrong decisions, but, doing anything, especially in the startup space, you're going to make a lot of wrong decisions, especially if you're trying to figure out how to market a product like a virtual office software product like we have that's a pretty new market. Um, there's going to be a Prepare lot of- to screw things, things up, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're going to screw a lot of things up. So, you know, this, this statement from Amazon, um, and they have good and bad culture. Um, but what they said is- there's a two-way door or a one-way door. So it's like a one-way door is you go out there and you say something so offensive that like you're as a marketer that like your the the world just doesn't want to buy your product. A two-way door is you say something like pretty edgy and like maybe some people find it funny and maybe some people li- like don't like it and you're like okay let's scale it back a little bit. Um, so it's the same kind of thing. It's like 
give the people the rope and let them and and be fine with them failing. So it's like here, I'm asking you a crazy task. I'm going to tell you it's a, it's a kind of a crazy task. I'm going to give you some more, some, you know, money and, and ability to spend this on freelancers to, to make more blog posts. And then like, let's see where we are in 30 days and kind of reevaluate. And, I, and I'm going to make myself available during the course of those 30 days for any questions. And I'm, we're going to kind of touch base on, on a monthly, uh, sorry, on a weekly basis so that by the time we're out a month, it's like, yeah, we only grew by 200% in the first, that's amazing still. Right. So, it's not always going to be steps forward. You will take two steps forward and one back. You got to be okay with that one back kind yes. of a thing, or you'll be frozen. This reminds me of a, a little bit of a uh, my $20 policy where any acquaintance of mine, I will always loan $20 to. That's a good, good policy. Myself, I consider it not a loan, but a give. And if they give it back, I know that was a really cheap way of knowing if I can trust this person to loan them $100 or, or $1,000 or whatever. Um, but if you give somebody 5 bucks, 20 bucks, and they don't give it back, it's, it's just a really cheap way of finding out if you can, what kind of person somebody is. And companies have to do a little, you said giving them some rope. You have to do a little bit of that. You need to give people room to see what they'll do or they'll never really flourish. And you yeah. know, your, your remote workers can't really succeed if you're restricting them constantly. You're so tightly wrapped around them because you're worried they're going to cheat you that you're, you won't even, you won't let the successful ones actually succeed. Um, something else you said reminded me of uh, Office Space. The movie Office Space, you have Jennifer Aniston's character and people see her as one of the good guys because she's one of the main characters. But I'm like, as an employer, you don't want to hire that person. It doesn't make her a bad person, but she just didn't belong in that job. She quit. Good. You want her to quit. Uh, she isn't like the good guy fighting against the company. It's like, no, there's a company. They serve food. They want cheery employees. Not You don't want Jennifer Aniston working for you. That employee was terrible. Um, like You want to see people actually wear all the bling they're supposed to or whatever it is. You know, you want to hire the Brian, not the Jennifer Anderson and uh, be able to move on from, from her as quick as possible. You want the people who actually want to be there and are going to get the job done more than average. The trajectory thing you were, you were talking about, uh, you know, Hey, they come in wearing nothing. And after a, a month, they got all their pins on or whatever. And they're happily taking care of customers. Great. That's what you kind of want on your people. But if you step on everybody constantly, you don't let them uh, achieve what, what you actually want them to, to get to on their own. Um, yeah, there, there has to be a, just a, in my opinion, there just has to be a, a bunch of failure at a managerial level to uh, be having someone on your team who is also, who is working remote and is also working at another job. And there's another manager who's also failing at their job. So right. it, like there's, like you should be challenging that person to be better at their job in some way, instead of like, they've just figured out a, a, a and kind of like kudos to them for figuring out how to get their work done and then uh, and appear to be doing their job correctly. Um, so like you are truly underserving that person, right? Yeah. If, they, if, if for example, they're a content marketer and they've figured out how to, uh, you know, have two content marketing jobs and go to some content, um, you know, some third-party content writers or maybe offshore and spend money to have their blog posts ready and then they edit them themselves and then they give them to you and they only work, you know, three, four hours a day and they do that for two companies. Like, 
why are you not giving that person a budget to go do that and do 10x the amount of content that they're creating for for you today? Yeah, uh, but you have to know they have that. So I think frequently you don't know with employees, is this person an average employee that I can put this much work on and they'll get it done? Or is this person awesome and I can do all this extra stuff? And if they're you know, if they're quiet quitting on you, if they're slacking on you and they, they could achieve so much more, but you don't know it unless you force all the work on them. And you say, oh, you know, it's like the the, the military training type thing or some sort of uh, where you say, we're just going to take in these hundred people and see, you know, first 99 to break. And then we have our one. Yeah. You don't really want to do that to your employees. Like you hire people and then you just give them all so much work that most of them can't handle it. And you find the one that can, and then, you know, the level that you can max them out at constantly. That's, I don't know. That's just, I prefer the oversight knowing people are working away and, and being able to see what's going on to measure who's at their capacity already and who you can give more to, and then give things like promotions to like, how do you know who to promote when you can't really tell you're in a remote atmosphere and you can't really tell who can take on more work who could handle more because you have no oversight kind of it's it's, it's really necessary to know who who to move up who to give raises to and who to let go whether somebody's just uh working three jobs and they could be awesome if you properly motivate and oversee them or if they're just mildly incompetent and they're actually at their max right now but it looks makes it look like they're working multiple jobs so I think that kind of management of remote people is, it's a delicate thing, but. Yeah, I think it's also just presence, right? Like I, I, we're blessed and obviously I have some bias here, but being present with the people I'm working with in Kumo space helps me start to try and suss those things out, right? Yeah. Like you hope to make really good hiring, but sometimes you you fail to actually make a good hire and it's just not a good fit. And those scenarios, it's a, not a, not a pleasant experience, but you know, you need to part ways and just being able to suss that out. Is this person truly feel overwhelmed with what you would think for if you, and, and I always put this, try to put this back to myself. It's like, if I were to do this task, how much, time would it take and how much time is it taking them in relation, right? There should be some pretty similarity, right? It doesn't have to be exact. Maybe I'm in some sense. Yeah. But frequently when you've come from that space, the people you hire maybe aren't as good at a certain thing as you are. And now I see that with the specific tasks, they should be better than the manager, the the hires maybe, but uh, you see it with effort kind of put in where bosses, expect every employee to be as motivated and driven as they are. And it's like, well, you're hiring a minimum wage person. If they were that motivated, they wouldn't be in a minimum wage job. Like this is what you're hiring for. If you want people who are as good and motivated and driven as you are and on the ball constantly, how much are you getting paid? Well, that's what you need to hire for then. That's you. There's a reason people are at different stations and you can't really expect, uh, I said many times, you can't expect every player on your team to be the MVP. You have role players, you have people who are highly motivated and all-stars, and then you have people who aren't. And if you tell everyone who isn't playing at MVP level that it's either MVP or get cut, you're not going to have a team. Like you got to have the rest of those people. Not everybody can perform at the level of your top person. And I think being remote makes it really hard to judge that. But 
circling back to what you guys do, the the interactivity there, the within your application uh, seems to allow a bit more of that. Um, I want to get a handful of like actual questions in here before yeah. the end. Um, one of them that I always like to know with with uh, this kind of thing is what kind of companies does is this particularly for like is this designed for a certain size of company a certain product size a certain like who is it for and not for when it comes to enterprise level small to medium business i suppose you got to have remote workers or it doesn't make a ton of sense yeah so our focus is distributed teams right that can be hybrid or that can be remote predominantly the people who use our product and were the first people to start using it the virtual office compo- aspect of kuma space were people that were completely remote. Like it was actually our users who had come for virtual events that were using us as a virtual office that inspired us to build out this additional functionality. And so typically, I, I think it's kind of two pieces here. Wait, right? so did you guys start out as a virtual event software or a virtual office software? We started off as a startup trying to figure to make <laughs> video like, chat more human, right? So we, you're we, whatever you want us to be, man. What do you want to call me? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, what that translated to was during the height of the pandemic, right? The company, the first product was launched August of 2020, and it was just like, let's just get this in the hands of people. People seem to like playing with it, and that ended up being a lot of people getting together with friends, a lot of all hands meetings, a lot of. Uh, happy hours and then like conferences. So it tended to skew towards these more infrequent or like weekly activities. But there was a group of remote workers who were starting to use the product in the sense of, hey, you know, the world's come back to to physically getting together, but like we're still remote and we just want to have a sense of togetherness. So you're seeing these people and you're like, they're on here all day, every day. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What's going on? Why? (laughs) Did they forget to log out? What happened? Exactly. Um, So going back to your question, like who's the ideal customer? It's really, you know, someone who's going to be remote is is definitely an ideal component. And since in large part here, we're asking people to change or regress to prior human behavior, which was defaulting to synchronous communication, um, you... You, it's best to do this with smaller groups. And what I mean by that is you can be a team of, you know, you can be at a 200,000 person company, but it's probably better to start with your like 20 or 30 or 40 person team um, because there is synergy that happens with having those people. If you're just a team of three or four people, you can use a product for free. It's a little harder to get value out of it, especially if you're remote and your team's a little distributed. Um Kind of that critical mass is is around like 10 people. So you start, it's enough interactions that it's not just kind of most of the communication is one-on-one. So it's like you're having a party, party of two people isn't a party. Like you got got to have enough people to call it a party. Um, Exactly. So, and it's funny, there's kind of like two pieces. I was saying how you don't want to, engaged in these kind of bad managerial, and we've been talking a lot about like these bad managerial tactics of being overly bearing or, you know, kind of creating a dystopian work environment because you're concerned about the employees maybe slacking or cheating you in some way. Um, It's interesting that the companies that are most likely to maybe run into that sometimes is the like SMEs, like a small business that's owned by a single individual with limited checks on their power are the most likely to do that. Whereas a big company, there's a lot of guardrails that prevents them. But when they're used to having a bunch of cubicles, they don't pay any attention to anyway. 
Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, used yeah. to having tons of people not really doing any work. <laughs> yeah, and then the on the flip side, um, small companies tend to be really good at adopting new technology. So it's for us typically it's a smaller it's it's a smaller company and it's the whole company that's coming on or it's a team, um, often engineering uh, type people who have a natural liking or inkling towards more video games. Um, tend to really love adopting the product. Unless like a video game design company would be like, yeah, these <laughs> graphics suck, man. I don't want to, I don't want to yeah, be yeah. in this game. <laughs> yeah, I think I, um, you know, the guys who make World of Warcraft would probably just rather do World of Warcraft for their uh, virtual office. Like, let's go meet they've there. they've got a great yeah. product. So, meet so, me in the forest. <laughs> I'll, I'll let them have it. Right, right. That's interesting. I wonder uh, if there are any companies that use that kind of like, yeah, our virtual office space is Roblox or something like that. Like my kids are on Roblox and I noticed that actually early on when I was looking for event things, I saw that and I was like, this could be used, but there's no audio component. I was like, it needs an audio component. And then you could set up events and walk through and, and people could create their space. And that's much more like what you guys have here. So what's the, um? let me think, it seems like there's a lot of different applications. You can do the events. You could have, again, like a customer service floor. You can invite people over to your virtual space you've created just for them for sales pitches or whatever. What's the coolest application of Kumo Space you have seen or, or heard of or, or most interesting application of it? The, the applications have just been kind of endless, right? We were very effective at like getting the word out. We had a bunch of tailwinds, the rise of short-term form video content in 2021, uh, 2021, and paired with Zoom fatigue and a global pandemic, right? We had a lot of things that were, were helping us market the product last year. Um, so it's been everything, like probably one of the more unique one-off use cases is uh, weddings happening inside Kumo space, like virtual weddings. Um, the But it's it's truly been everything. We've helped some of the largest companies in the world do conferences. We've had people do religious gatherings in here. It's, it's really been everything. Um, I would say most recently, kind of the, one of the coolest ones is one of our customers. Um, it's a startup called Geology. Uh, they do skincare and now hair care products as well. Uh, they use us as their virtual office. Um, they have actually been a remote company um, since their founding several years ago, pre-pandemic. Uh, but just like any physical office, if you would think about like say a L'Oreal uh, would have had a new lipstick launch or a new product line launch, they would have probably invited members of the media, some influencers, and they would have had a party. So what these guys did very recently is they did a virtual product launch in their virtual office. Um, so I think that's probably one of the more interesting, like really relevant use cases. And it just shows that like for them, Kuma Space is their company's home. And that just like in a physical office, they would use that for, you know, gatherings. They use this space to... Uh, you know, launch their new set of products. Awesome. We touched on you a little bit with the um, um, the, the yacht VC talk and stuff at the beginning, but uh, can you give the listeners a, a little more of an idea of kind of who you are? Um, and by the way, Drew, when Drew first, when his people approached us one 
asking about the show. I thought it was fake. <laughs> I, I I thought, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Drew, but yeah, yeah, I thought yeah. it was fake and I almost deleted it because your name, uh, Drew Moffat. Okay, there's nothing weird there, but Drew, in the data area, we have a, it's like Bart Simpson could never get us on the phone because we have whole things built around looking for fake names and what names are people using. And Drew is one of those ones that is makes up a lot of fake names, uh, you know, names that can be added on or turn into other things when you combine them. And Drew P with the middle initial is particularly um, now your, your score, your likelihood of being a fake name has gone way up. The only thing that made me double take was the Moffat. If it was something that actually meant something as a last name, I'd be like, well, that's obviously not a real name. Drew P. Moffat. I was like, what's Moffat mean? What's a Moffat? Is this something inappropriate? What's what's a droopy Moffat? I don't know. It sounds inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the topic that was brought to us was interesting enough that I I double did a double take. And I was also interested in what's this fake name? I haven't seen this one before. Is like trying to figure out a puzzle from Bart Simpson on a, on a crank call or something like that. And then it turned out you're a real person. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that I was a real person. Um, and it's kind of funny. Uh, I've actually started shying away from using my middle initial. I used it for an extended period of time because when I was in college, I had, uh, you know, went and Googled myself and there was a bunch of other Drew Moffats and they were mostly doctors. And so they had some degree of SEO around their name because they were part of some health system or something to that effect. And um, so they were outranking me. And so then I started putting on my resume, Drew P. Moffat. And, and, uh, but over time, I've started, started to shy away from it, partially just because of um, I had you know, been on some different podcasts and I'd done some startups. So like, my name now, I show up pretty regularly on the first page for Drew, Drew Moffat just by itself. Um, but that is really funny. And it makes a lot of sense. And it's just something I never thought about as someone who is in the data space. Like there could just be a ton of, uh, you know, puns that would go with that kind of name. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so my background, uh, graduated college in 2011, like a lot of people um, in that time period, it was not a particularly easy job market. I was also a little naive, right? 2007, when I went to school, uh, getting internships was way less important, or at least it was conveyed to be way less important than it is today. My understanding, young people in college today get internships soft, going into their sophomore year in, in some instances. And <laughs> yeah, they can start getting them in middle school soon. Yeah, exactly. So, but good good for them. You know, they'll be on a better uh, out of college path than I was. Um, so, so, uh, you know, going back to 2011, uh, I kind of had just thought, oh, yeah, I'll end up in finance. I went to school, a small liberal arts college in, in New York City. Uh, you know, that's where I'll end up. And in 2011, you know, Goldman Sachs and the big banks were, were not coming to my little college campus uh, looking for Drew, uh, especially Drew P. <laughs> Maybe that was the problem. Yeah, and, they, they looked at you and then they said, fake, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving on. Exactly. Their, their AI was... Uh, was less developed back then, thirteen years ago. Said, or, I don't, I don't get the joke, but but it's obviously fake. So moving on. Yeah, exactly. Um, must be something those young kids are into these days. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> I ended up in real estate, uh, high end residential real estate, working for someone who was basically the Meryl Streep character from Devil Wears Prada of New York City real estate. 
Uh, and it got me a lot of good exposure, um, very high price point they were kind of working at, but I yearned for something more. And that's where I started getting involved in marketing because I decided I'm going to jump off, uh, you know, the stable job and try and do my own startup. And it's going to be easy again, jumping in there with some degree of night naiveness. And I started a company called forever not, which was a relationship betting app. Um, I needed to, I finagled my way into some Columbia business school classes. I had gotten some engineering students to help build the app with me. And then I needed to market it. Um, since it was letting you put like a relationship status, or sorry, uh, a, a, a virtual bet similar to like Zanga poker, uh, on our celebrity relationship status, for example, like Kim and Kanye, which was not, didn't do too well in the results. It just took a lot longer, I guess, than all of us to, to arrive. When at. you first said relationship betting, I was like, so, so it's like a dating app, but you can, you can like gamble whether you're going to get a second date or not. <laughs> oh, we're talking <laughs> about celebrity pools. Okay. <laughs> and this is just like telling somebody, I bet you we're going to go out. Like this is different. <laughs> yeah. This is more celebrity like, dating. I don't think Kanye and Kim are going to stay together kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Who's Taylor Swift going to date next? A exactly. long shot. <laughs> and it was like a funny concept that got a lot of, uh, and I was able to effectively get PR, knew nothing about it, didn't hire a PR agency. I had fortunately seen the co-founder of uh, Harry's and Warby Parker. They had hired this PR team and that PR team had come and pitched and shown this CBS class that I was auditing. And I just kind of like, took and cloned what they had and told this story and and also did it just before valentine's day so timing was pretty mm -hmm. correct in that moment something um, that was pr hot like people are looking for something new different startup you're like okay exactly a little edgy uh it went briefly viral and then apple decided wait 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 this doesn't really conform with our aerial brands let's uh let's you know we don't want this in our private uh app store uh marketplace so that came to a quick screeching halt. And then I helped another startup and I did a, a transportation startup. And then I spent three years building four corporate back ventures. So what I do is get tasks similar to management consulting by an executive of a you know public CEO, often of a publicly traded company. And that person would kind of just say like, here's the geography and here's the industry. And here's like the business I kind of want you to make. And the, the mandate could be kind of broad, but it really caused me to sharpen my skills around like, how do I not get to choose where I'm marketing, what I'm building? Um, so I did that for a while. It's like being uh, a startup engineer. I mean, you're given a budget, yeah. you're given some parameters, and you're saying, go do something. Yeah, um, we were a little founding team for hire. I was typically leading mm -hmm. three to four people, including myself. And you know, have some fledgling startup that would, that would be working by the end of like 90 days. And that just makes you, uh, you know, figure out and, and, and embrace failing a lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's some awesome practice. I, you mentioned developers and, and auditing a class at Columbia, in other words, just showing up, I think is, <laughs> is what that's called. It's the opposite of quiet quitting, showing up when you aren't <laughs> supposed to be there. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I remember, um, thinking, God, I just need to somehow get into uh, living in the dorm rooms in a computer science department, because apparently the only way when I was working in startups as well, the only way to to meet good developers that are actually willing to work with you is to be there 
like be be their dorm room mate and then you get to start a company and they, and they actually you, you approach any developer uh you know once they get out of college they've been burned by so many people's startup ideas that they put all their developing time into and then nothing happens that they're like i'm not just going to i'm not going to partner with anybody on on anything unless i'm uh, you know we're dorm room mates uh kind of anymore um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that's, that's where you came along. And then I, I mean, eventually uh, from there, what's the step from there? You're working for these companies getting, uh, having a small team that's basically hired to, to create little startups. Um, and then from there, how do you get to uh, Kuma space? Yeah. So I stepped, uh, I stepped back, you know, I said, done that for three years. Um, I wanted to get more back into the startup space started hosting and organizing venture sales. Initially, as I said, started on a boat, hence the name. Now they're mostly just happy hours here in New York for, with VCs and founders. And I was briefly leading marketing at a big, bigger like SME software consultancy. So doing large implementations for everything from like large financial firms down to like smaller, uh, several million dollar annual revenue kind of businesses. And the pandemic hit. And just for that, I had some life events. So I had to step back from that role, which was just a whole crazy journey to be uh, in 2020. And I started doing some consulting and crossed paths with the co-founders of Kumo Space. And they, you know, the company, I think, was incorporated. Uh, I don't know the exact date, but it was in May of 2020. And the beta product launched around August 1st, 2020. And I got involved about 45 days later. And quickly, it went from a couple hours a week to like nearly full time, and two and a half, over two years later now, um, it's been an exciting journey. And my skills from having to figure out how to market some random business in some random geography uh, has been very helpful because, like, we've had to figure out what what we're building here and what how we're marketing it, and that's uh, something that. I enjoy doing. I love I love that problem solving. In the moment, I'll get frustrated and be like, "Why can't I get it to work?" And then, well, it's the parameters. Back. You say you were given some parameters and how I work within these, but also not enough parameters sometimes because you're like, "Wait, where are we going to go with this? Are we going to make this for weddings? Is this for events? Is this for remote working? Is this for?" There's so many different applications, but you kind of need to focus on something and make it really good for something, not. So one of the issues with engineers is if you don't give them a path, they can't really, the more parameters you give them, the better they can build something. They're like, make it really hard. Give me, make it so that I, I almost can't move at all to, to build this. And then I can go in that direction. But man, when you leave everything open like that, it, the decision of which direction to go is can be one of the hardest ones. Yeah. And it's great that, you know, the world has now pretty much returned to normal. And they're during the course of that, um, something I think around 6% of companies, there's grand, there's a pretty heavy skew towards smaller companies were remote and that number's multiplied several X. So pretty uh, awesome tailwind for us. And we think organizationally uh, as organizational strategy, there's about six today right now. You've got in-person work, you've got hundred percent remote work, and then you've got four hybrid. And what that basically means is anything from like office first hybrid to remote first hybrid. And we believe that increasingly so hybrid is going to mean remote first, right? There's it, people 
can do the job remotely. People appreciate that freedom. It gives them also the ability to spend more time with their kids or like go pick up their kids from school in the middle of the day. Spend more time working because you're not, not commuting two hours a day. Exactly. You get all that time back from commuting. You don't have to maybe pay for a dog walker. Um, there's just a lot of benefits to the employee. Oh yeah. Live where you want to live in an area you can afford like Manhattan, how suddenly in Manhattan, you can afford certain workers you could never afford before because they don't have to live in Manhattan or, or whatever, Los Angeles, whatever area. It's like, Oh, these people can be remote. We can, it opens up so many doors for companies when you don't have this huge barrier to entry of, they have to live within an hour commute of here. And the cost of living is so high. It's hard. Our company, we're in LA County. I'm like, it's hard for us to compete for talent with data companies that are in uh, somewhere like North Dakota. You know, yep. that's an area where there's some data companies and it's like their cost for work is, is so much less. But so these, these areas are typically high tech. You have all the universities around, so you need this talent pool, but now the talent also can be like, I'm sorry, but I want to go live in the middle of nowhere in Idaho and I'm still going to be a high tech worker. Um, yeah, it just, I love remote work. I think it's great for everybody. I love the app you guys have created here for it. Um, I think it's just a great combination of, of functionality that, that you have in here. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Let me think. I want to have one last question for you. Where do you think this is going? Like you have an idea probably of where you're at, but where do you think remote work is going in particular? You mentioned the, it's going to be, you know, um, remote first for many companies likely, but, but what else is, is going to be happening here? Is this going to go full VR eventually? Is that necessary? Um, where's a company like yours going to end up going? Yeah, I think at the core, we're building a communication product. And it's about bringing all the benefits of a physical office into a virtual environment. And there's a lot of ways in which people communicate today that we think could be simplified and that we personally find to be simplified by just using Humo Space. So love to see a future where a lot of users are using Kumo space as their core communication product uh, for running their business. And I think as far as getting to VR or, and I, I think there might be a more likely like AR augmented reality future. I just think that's a, a ways off. I think you can see what Meta is trying to do and it's just not particularly working out with their quest. You can see what their share price is doing and they are dumping, I think, they're saying that they're going to be spending something on the order of $10 billion on, on mm -hmm. investing in VR-related technology. Um, I just don't think it's there. I think what they're doing for humanity is actually probably beneficial. I don't know that it'll necessarily benefit Meta, the company. At great cost um, to them, they're pushing things forward. But I keep sense. looking at it and saying, but what's the... Okay, it's kind of cool looking sometimes and kind of stupid looking sometimes, but what's the benefit? Other than like I have VR goggles and I love when I first got them, like my kids, I put them on. Oh, look, here's you're in the jungle and you can look around in all different directions. And there's these little movies and you're in the middle of the movie. That's cool as entertainment. But what's the functionality like that you add here for this great expense of processor speed and limiting who can possibly experience it and all that? It just it's um, it's form before function vastly at the moment. Yeah, very bleeding edge, it seems. Bleeding to death edge. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think it 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 creates some challenges 
um, especially when you start thinking about like the use cases that we really want to effectively support is that remote worker who's like on the train, in a car, uh, you know, on the go. And that's where like the VR stuff, just what we're building today can work, right? We're continuing to invest in mobile and more chat function, but like VR is just really going to be tough to, to work well outside of your very controlled situated environment. And that is a little bit counterintuitive to the benefits of remote work. It's like, you're giving people the freedom you're, and if you're a good manager, you're trusting them to get their job done in that course of that day, but you're giving them the freedom to do it as they need during the course of the day. Right. You're trying and to write blog posts and hunt down Bigfoot in remote Oregon. It's really hard to have the bandwidth for meta. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, I, I love the episode. I hope the listeners got a lot out of it. I think really to get a lot out of it. You got to go to Kumo Space and see what these guys have done. Um, I had drew on specifically because I had a look at it and really liked liked the product and where it was going. We've talked about remote work quite a bit and my love for it on this show, but this is uh, the best remote work app or app program I've, I've ever seen. So good job. Keep pushing things forward there, Drew. Looks great. And um Let's see. Check out the show notes for this episode on ifyoumarket.com and we'll have more information on Drew and uh, and Kumo Space. And um, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with a remote work, with a hybrid remote workforce, they will come. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted, high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.